You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. My value is not from 6 a.m. at a shift change until 10 p.m. at a um, debrief. That's not my only value. Am I really effective if I'm going 12 hours a day for 21 days straight on a blackout campaign? Am I really being the best? On the Black Work Talk podcast, Erica Hame, Deputy Director for Jobs to Move America, talks about organizing and burnout. Obviously, they're coming for people with uteruses first, but then they're going to come for everybody else who stands out and who is a target of white supremacist, imperialist capitalism. Sandy Birch and Carol Wald discuss the overturning of Roe v. Wade on the Voice of the People podcast. What they have decided to do is that these nine people appointed for life make the law, not interpret the law. And on the latest podcast of The Voice, American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten offers some pointed opinions on the Supreme Court's ruling striking down Roe v. Wade. Back in the day, the allocation of an email address and PCs to almost all employees was quickly followed by the numbers dismissed for looking at porn skyrocketing. In the final episode of the Union Days podcast series, the role sex plays in misconduct at work. Wages for housework is not everything, no, but it's a really good start to begin to say value every individual's contribution Women or men, whatever race they are, whatever continent they live on, we all need the right to survive because of what we contribute to human society. Writer, feminist, and social activist Selma James joined me on this week's Your Rights at Work radio show to talk about the International Wages for Housework campaign, which she co-founded 50 years ago. A quick word before we get to the show. This is your network, and we're building it like a union organizing campaign, one show and one listener at a time. Please help us build this sonic solidarity by sharing the show. Just click on the share button. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Hey folks, this is Steve Pitts, um, co-host of Blackboard Talk. I'm here with my good friend and my co-host, Shree Davis. Shree, how you doing? I'm doing good, Steven. Life treating you okay? You know what? Yes, I went to see For Colored Girls on Broadway last oh, night. Oh, wow. How oh, was wow. that? It's amazing. They got a lot of Tony nominations. That's cool. I want to bring in our, our, our guest today. We have with us Erica Heme. I hope I pronounced it correctly, Erica. Please correct me. That's correct. Um, I'm excited to reconnect with you, you know, um, and also as, as Sri mentioned, this is the, our mini series on black feminism. And, and it was so wonderful to talk with you yesterday um, because in t- us talking, I got a sense about how your experiences as a black woman have shaped your views of how to organize, you know, and it's important to get a sense of that. So tell me more about that whole idea that, that, that your experiences have kind of led you to 
take what we might call, quote unquote, a typical method of organizing and, and improve upon it? Yeah. Um, you know, the way, so I've been organizing for 20 years now. Um, you, start, you started, you're five years old? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can believe that if you want to. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, but I'm proud of my age. I'm 42. So I started when I was 22 years old. Um, organizing labor unions right out of college. And I came in through the Organizing Institute, organized in the service industry across SEIU and all other sectors except for building services. Then I did a lot of education and capacity building and leadership development. But at the root of it all, when we talk about organizing, stepping back, like, you know, the theory of organizing is you have to work 12, 15, 16 hour days. You have to work 21 hour days straight. You have to do 11 days on, three days off. And, and you know, these, these crazy expectations as far as time. So we're only talking about time to organize as a, in, in a single pocket. And if you weren't doing all that, then you weren't committed to the work, right? If you got tired and wanted to go home and didn't want to debrief one night, you would be viewed as like, you're not a team player. You're not committed. And I just feel like that right there is problematic. Because when you do that, you're excluding a whole community of people from the work who could be a contributor in a real way to the work. So that's one difference I have as far as like organizing goes. I also, and I also think, you know, when you think about the organizing in the traditional sense, it's like, you know, anybody could organize in any community. So, you know, that's why we keep seeing, you know, New Yorkers coming down to Alabama to organize or you see people you know, sending, um, you know, these, you know, white guys from Brown University to go and organize in the ghettos of Detroit. Like, you know, it's something to be said about community. Um, and it's something to be said about people from the community organizing themselves and being empowered to be able to organize themselves. And I don't think that, you know, the traditional model of organizing really appreciate that in a way to where they take it seriously. Like we say it, we say we want the communities to organize. But when it's time to start thinking about strategy and implementation, it doesn't show up in the same way. And I think at the root of it all, it's like, um, I feel like the the organizing that I came up under trained in, I, I definitely had to mold and adjust to adapt to that space. But it's definitely designed for a white man. You know, it's designed for someone who don't have children. It's designed for someone who might have some type of higher education. Um, but the people that's most impacted doesn't necessarily look like that. So I definitely have a different view on how organizing should be done. And I've, you know, I've, I've built tried and true skill sets through the fire to get to this place. And the way I always tell people is that I kept what I liked and I left what I don't. And I apply that in my organizing as well. So, you know, when I think about organizing, you know, I think that organizing is something that is a lifestyle. I think that it could be done 24 hours a day, but that doesn't mean you're working indoors 24 hours a day. You know, it, it's, it's a fluid. Organizing is fluid. Every interaction is relationship building, is understanding that it's really about my value is not from 6 a.m. at a shift change until 10 p.m. at a um, debrief. That's not my only value. Am I really effective if I'm going 12 hours a day for 21 days straight on a blackout campaign, am I really being the best? And am I organizing out of a place when, the, if that's the standard, 
what place am I organizing from? I think we have to organize from our soul. We have to organize from our inner core. And when you're on those types of schedules, you're more, you're organizing more out of um, like a, a desperate desire to meet the standard that doesn't necessarily get you a means to your end. And so I feel like we have to really just rethink, you know, our approach, like more time and driving yourself into the ground and burning out is not the healthiest way to sustain talent and good organizers. And I think that we have to really rethink what is a balanced lifestyle for an organizer. I work a lot, but I also have three children. I have a 10-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. I show up at everything. I'm at every meeting. I'm there early. I sometimes leave late, but it's not at the cost of my family because I have flexibility. I've required my career to pivot to understand that I am a woman first. I'm a mother. You know, I have a life and that I can't put everything on a bookshelf to just talk to workers all day, every day and neglect my community because that is bad modeling for the people that we're organizing. We're talking about people need to have good jobs. People have to have quality of life. People have to have work-life balance, health and safety, working 21 hours a day, 17 hours a day, you know, for weeks on end, it's not healthy. That's a work hazard. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've had two breaks in my career where I was burned out. The first time I burned out in 2008, right after we um, got Obama elected for the first time, I had to take two years off and I got my master's degree during that time so I could get myself back together. I had a burnout in 2015 right after we opened up higher ed and organized San Bernardino workers in California. I had to take a whole year off just to get myself back. And both times I left, I was like, is labor for me? Is organizing for me? This is not a sustainable lifestyle. Now imagine if I would have took those breaks and never came back, burned out and never came back. We wouldn't be doing the organizing we're doing today. And I know so many good organizers who, excellent talent, but you can't, they won't touch organizing with a 10 foot pole because they try to force themselves into this culture of organizing that is not practical, is not realistic, and is not sustainable. I just answered a lot. I just gave you a lot. I was answer. about to say, Stephen, I think she answered so all the questions. Question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think she answered all the questions. I think, I think we might be done here. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to ask this question. She was like, well, I'm going to answer it. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't You're be sorry. Very good. You're right. This has been wonderful, Erica. I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad I connected with you. This has been phenomenal. This was a fun Friday. I was not expecting this. It's just hey. joyful. That's good. That's good. Sheree, thanks for also good talking to you again. Yes, absolutely. It's good to be in this company on a Friday. It's a good way to go into the weekend. That's good. Y'all have good weekends. Go forth and conquer y'all, okay? Thank Take you, care. guys. Take my dreams away. That was Holly Near singing Mountain Song. Good afternoon and welcome to Voice of the People Radio by and for the 99%. As I'm sure most of you have heard, the U.S. Supreme Court has overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. And there's every indication that the current Supreme Court is going to go after rights given for sexual orientation. And 
even contraception. But I am very pleased to have with us today on the show Sandy Birch, who is the co-chair of the Western Montana chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, and also Carol Wald, who is an organizer with the Western Montana chapter of Democratic Socialists of America. Great to have you on the show, Sandy and Carol. Thank you. Great to be here. Sandy, why is it that we've had this loss of rights and why is it that we seem to be going backwards? I think that <laughs> the long answer, I think, probably starts with the Great Depression and, and the New Deal and the, that whole political order that was ushered in where, once again, people were immiserated and sick of it and had been exploited by, once again, by the ruling class to a point that they wouldn't, they just wouldn't handle it anymore. And it ushered in a new order in which they demanded that the state actually ensure that their more of their basic needs were met. And then that's when you have all the gains of the labor movement, all of these things that were impressive achievements in the labor movement and in the way that the economy was regulated. And then in the 70s, when neoliberalism started to take over, and that was also when Charles Koch started his right-wing think tanks and when all of these billionaires got together and they said, wow, if these successes of the labor movement continue, if the everyday people continue to successfully get what they need from the state, and if the state continues to be basically like on their side <laughs> and demanding more from the billionaires, then we're going to lose all our fortunes. We're going to lose all our power. We're not going to be kings of gods in the world anymore. And that's, of course, existentially frightening to somebody like that. And so they went about their business with an impressive amount of strategy. And they deconstructed all of these antitrust laws. They deconstructed all of the regulations. They got welfare eviscerated. They pulled apart the labor movement and co-opted really this kind of like working class politics. They had a strategy. And that strategy included installing a Supreme Court like the one we have right now. So like this Supreme Court and what it's doing today is like one of the end games of this whole move, this whole right wing strategy that started in the 70s. And meanwhile, the Democrats are in bed with them. The Republicans and the Democrats are in the same bed and the bed is made out of the money of the billionaires. As far as as far as I'm concerned, and the Democrats, the Women's Health Protection Act has been there since 2013 or something like that. But the Democrats refused to get rid of the filibuster in order to pass it, because if they didn't have the filibuster anymore, they might actually have to like do some stuff that the people want them to do. And so they're scared to get rid of the filibuster. And so there's and then not even on top. I think that this situation also really highlights the undemocratic nature of so many aspects of our government. Like the Supreme Court is profoundly undemocratic. We have, we have these few, this handful of people that makes these decisions that affect millions of people that live in this country and they are not elected and they are put there for life. That's a monarchy, that's an oligarchy. And, and then when you talk about how Congress, how Senate is structured and how it favors these lower population conservative states to have an outsized impact on, like Montana, to have an outsized impact on national politics. So that's how I think we got to this. That's why I think we have this loss of rights. And then 
it's been great having Sandy Birch and Carol Wald on the show. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds This is Union Days Stories from a Union Scrapbook It seems incredible that members, almost always men, thought that they could access explicitly pornographic material in work's time, on work's premises, and using work equipment. The universal rollout of smartphones hopefully makes this a thing of the past, but back in the day, the allocation of an email address and PCs to almost all employees was quickly followed by the numbers dismissed for looking at porn skyrocketing. In most cases, the material viewed was legal. Unfortunately, very rare occasions it wasn't. And on even rarer ones, it involved union reps. Davy is a good mate of mine. He works in the same role as me, but for a sister union, and he told me a story that made my hair stand on end for the issues it raised. Man, man, it was a nightmare, groaned Davy, taking a sizable pull on his pint before starting. I mean, like, this guy was well-established, if you know what I mean. Long-time local rep, good at his job, well-known and respected in the community. Suddenly, goes very, very quiet. Incommunicado. Invisible. And then I get the call from management that he's been charged. He's been charged with allegedly viewing paedophile material when he should be at work, on the computer in the FM branch office. Uh, and um, where is this branch office? I asked, fearing that I certainly knew what the answer would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, said Davy, reading the look on my face, on the second floor of the company's regional headquarters. That's the perfect trinity then, I thought. In works time, on equipment provided solely for union activity, and on works premises. Oh, oh you can imagine the dominoes that start falling groaned Davy, taking another draw from his drink. I mean, in practical terms, who's going to represent this guy? In fact, who's going to want to have anything at all to do with him or his case? In fact, again, do we represent him or, or, or do we cut him loose? I mean, the equipment, the equipment and the viewing took place in a union office. Yeah, but on the employer's premises. So that's, that's crap for them and us. <sighs> One positive point, sighed Davy, but this is all relative. There's no denial about what happened. Plenty of mitigation, but no denial. It did present a unique situation, though, I reflected. There was genuine and justifiable disgust. There was deep discomfort, too. As is the normal escalation, the case would rapidly find its way to head office, or specifically to Davis' office in his union, just as it would to my office in mine. Davy continued. Well... You can imagine. Our staff members declined to handle any material relating to the case. All very polite, like professionals they always are, but also very firm. I can only imagine it was the same for the employer too. 
I could only think that there was no prosecution or criminal case here. Otherwise, the internal company procedures would not have continued. Prejudicial to a fair trial, you see, if the company finds a misconduct charge upheld, it's hardly going to play well if the member is in court for the self-same thing, even though the standards of proof in the two places may be very different. So, it was very bad, but there was no criminal dimension, which meant you had to deal, right? I said to Davy. Right, he said. There was no question that we wouldn't represent this guy, whatever colleagues at national and local level were feeling. He had an absolute right to a fair hearing and an equal right to be represented. I nodded sagely. So, said Davy, I did it. I felt like I needed a shower for a week afterwards. Davy relaxed his tense shoulders and shook his head. And I got up to get the next round in. This has been Union Days, scenes from a union scrapbook with me, Simon Sapper. Music is by Scott Holmes, production by Makes You Think. Subscribe, rate and review on the podcast platform of your choice. You can email the show at info at makesyouthink.com. Thanks for listening. This is a public service announcement with guitar. Know your rights. All three of them. Number one, you have the right not to be killed. All right, and Welcome, everybody, to Your Rights at Work. I'm Chris Garlick. Ed Smith has got the week off. I'm so In 1972, writer, feminist, and social activist Selma James put forward wages for housework as a demand and a political perspective that redefined the working class. She coined the word unwaged, which incorporates all workers without wages, and the International Wages for Housework campaign she co-founded coordinates the global women's strike. She co-authored the classic The Power of Women and the Subversion of the Community and is the author of other path-breaking writing, including Our Time is Now, which was just published this month. I talked to her this morning from her office in the Kentish Town Crossroads Women's Centre in London about the 50th anniversary of the Wages for Housework campaign. Selma James, welcome to Your Rights at Work. It is such an honor to meet you. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me to be on your program. I remember working in a factory in England, uh, and I was there the day that pay equity came to this place. It was a tobacco warehouse, and we packed... um, the orders for various shops and it was really heavy work and the women said tomorrow the first wage packet we get will pay equity and one woman i remember she was a west indian woman and she had a good voice and she said from tomorrow 
we both pay the mortgage and it's no different between what he says and what I say. We're completely equal. Once I'm paying as much of the mortgage as he is. It was a statement that soon, you know, like was given out into the air and dominated the room, but nobody responded because everybody knew that some great truth <laughs> had been, you know, echoed at that moment in time. I think, you know, the relationships between women and men are very difficult, very difficult. And I often wonder what a tragedy that is, that there is a power relation between women and men, and both of us need each other, and all of us need each other, but that this question of money divides us, and it's it's no good we don't want it we want either all of us have the same amount or none of us need it i think wages for housework is not everything no but it's a really good start to begin to say value every individual's contribution women or men whatever race they are whatever continent they live on we all need the right to survive because of what we contribute to human society. There is a new spirit around. It's not a spirit that is sure to win, but it's a spirit that says we're going for it because we have no choice. And there are so many women who are active in the movement and who are guiding the movement they may not even be in front, but they can lead from behind. And we have always been able to do that. So I think it's up for grabs now. I know what side I'm on. I know what side you're on. And I know what side many millions are on. And we just have to get it all together. And now's the time. It's our time is now or our time will not be forever. Selma James, it has been such an honor and a pleasure and, and inspirational. Uh, you, you've really made my day. Thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. That's it for this week's Your Rights at Work. Thanks to Mike Nacella, our engineer today. The music at the top of this segment was Ode to Wages Against Housework by Sarah McEwen. I'm Chris Garlock. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week. This is a public Well, that's it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the more than 150 Labor Radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to all the shows you heard today in the show notes for this podcast. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod 
on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly was edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show, and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website, Labor Radio Network. And before we go, just take a second to help us build sonic solidarity by sharing this show. Just click on the share button. Thanks so much. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. Thank you.